will only believe, then we will receive what's mountains just fall from our way. And life becomes sweeter than ever before. Oh, when it comes to Jesus. The deaf, the dumb, the leper, the one.
I always wanted to do that, Ron. All right, well, good morning. And if you're visiting with us at Grace, we welcome you to our service today. And, and uh, our central focus is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And as I was just talking with George, you know, it's so great to be um, together. Those of us who are in Christ, we're a family. And we're a forever family. Think about that. We're a forever family. Some of our family is waiting on us uh, to be in glory. And um, as you get older, <laughs> you think about that a little bit more. Glory's not too far away. And I hope you know that that's where you're going to be uh, when you die. Um, so February the 10th, we're having a decades bash. So I went to high school between 1978 and 1982, and believe it or not, fashions changed even in those four years. But um, we are going to have a Decades Bash on February 10th. It's an opportunity for fellowship, uh, being together, having fun together, uh, hanging out together. Uh, For those of you who have just been coming for a little bit, it's an opportunity for you to get to know some of the ones who've been here for a little while and uh, to fellowship with them and just to have a, a fun time. And so I, I trust that you'll sign up for that. The sign-up sheets are out in the foyer and we want to encourage you uh, to do that and to make, um, to make that just a, a priority for you just so you, know, you can get to know folks and it'll be a good time. I wanted to also mention that um, we really had a great men's fellowship Thursday night. Appreciate all those men that... Um, took part to plan that and get that together. Uh, it was a great time with Ken McGinnis. Um, he and I have been friends a long time, and uh, he's a, a wonderful man of God, and we're so, so thankful that we were able to have that time. You know, you always hear about the ladies and their fellowship, and they're doing all this stuff. We had brisket, okay? That's, we, we, had, we had brisket, and, and we had brisket and more brisket. It was so, so good. Uh, Mike put that together, and... Um, I, I told Mike this morning, I said, when I said good morning to him, I didn't say good morning, Mike. I said good morning, Mr. Brisket, because <laughs> his brisket's phenomenal. And so we just really, really appreciate everybody who was involved in that. And I'm so, so thankful. You know, it takes a lot of different hands to, to, to do ministry. And we're so thankful that each and every one of you um, understand that and have an opportunity to minister and hopefully use your gifts and talents for the glory of the Lord. I wanted to, um, this morning, uh, read our text for today, and uh, it is a, just a loaded, powerful text, and I'd like you to stand um, as I read uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, we'll look at verses 6 through 13 today, 6 through 13. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens 
every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him or took him in, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, you know I've, I've studied so many different uh, texts in your word. This one, um, for me, uh, has just been incredible. Uh, just to to be able to kind of dig through the layers and to be able to discover everything that you have for us to think through as it relates to you, uh, to your son, to salvation, to the opportunity that you give man to believe. And uh, as John was a witness in his day, of the Lamb of God, we are witnesses today of the Lord Jesus and the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. I pray that this morning, everything that's done through, um, through song and through um, the ministry of your word, that the Lord Jesus would be glorified. And I pray that our minds are ready to uh, hear your word, and that we might apply it to our lives as your spirit works in our hearts. And all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Remain standing and let's sing about the love of God because everything we talk about today is because of his love. Let's sing together.
grace alone from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to, before the choir sings, I'd like to just uh, share a little passage of scripture right here out of Titus. You know, I tried to find something that would kind of bridge between the grace of God and his um, amazing grace. It says in Titus 2, 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. just wanted you to hear that little verse of Scripture right there, that little passage, because it talks about what he created us for. And we're here to worship him and to honor him. And I want the choir to sing right now a song, uh, one we just all kind of love. Is, it says, your grace still amazes me. Listen to the words as they, as they sing. Tender. 
Let's all pray, maybe. Father, we come before you today as a family of believers, Lord, to honor you and who you are. Lord, we know that none of this is about us. And the amazing grace that you show us is not about us, but it's all about you. And, oh, God, we just come and we worship you this morning and we just honor you because you have shown us an amazing grace that we never could have even thought of. And, Lord, we know that there is nothing that we can do, even though you created us for good works, it was nothing that we could do to to deserve the amazing grace that you have shown each and every one of us. Oh, God, we're so thankful today that you came. You came and walked among us and became one of us, Lord, so that you could die in our place because we deserve that, not you. But, God, in your amazing love and your grace and your mercy that is so much more than we can ever imagine, You have shown yourself so strong on our behalf. Again, not because we deserve it, but simply because of the wondrous love of God. Lord, thank you as we've come together today to worship you. Father, I pray for our pastor as he brings the word, your word that you've given to us. Lord, that we would uh, listen, our hearts would be open. Your spirit can move us, can teach us. And help us to live our lives daily for you. Be with us now during this rest of this time together. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. He was surrounded by his family and some friends. He was a young man who had several children. And as the children gathered around his bed before he went to glory, he was asked the question, how do you know that you'll be in heaven with the Lord? And his answer was very simple. He said, when I was a boy, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I trusted in him. All of his children got to hear that testimony about who Jesus Christ was was to him. And I watched those children as they reacted and responded to the death of their father. For some it was um, a long time they had with their father. For others of the kids it was a very short period of time. And I watched those children grow up some and I got to see the impact of the father's testimony That he had a simple one and a short one, but a certain one. He wasn't confident in himself, he was confident in Christ. What say you about Jesus Christ? Are you confident on a scale of 1 to 10 that you belong to Christ? Where would you say that is? Are you trusting in yourself? in your accomplishments, and your works? Are you trusting or have you trusted in the one and only one who's worthy of our trust? And that's the Lord Jesus Christ.
Do you ever get tired of hearing that question, do you belong to Christ? Do you ever get tired of hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope not. Because as we sang at the very end, it's a gospel of grace. We don't deserve the favor of God. But we're thankful for it, aren't we? And as we get older in the Lord, we become more and more thankful because glory is right around the corner. It's staring us in the face. Eternity is, for every single person that's in this building today, there's an eternal question for you. Where will you spend eternity, with the Lord or away from the Lord? It's something to consider. It's something that that father was able to say to those children in the very last moments of his life. I watched those kids, as I said, and every single one of those children came to Christ. But you know, that's not always the case. There are many that will live this life and reject Christ and reject the testimony of what is said about Christ. Last week, we were privileged to go back and listen as we read verses 1 through 5 of John and listen to John's description of the Son of God, of the Savior, of Christ the Lord. And this week, there's kind of an interlude. It starts with a little bit of discussion about John. Now, anytime you see the proper name John in the Gospel of John, it's not referring to the apostle who wrote the letter. Okay, just so you kind of are aware of that. But in this interlude, we're told about John, who is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, known more about being John the baptizer. When you come to the gospel of John, it's different. Now, that doesn't mean that John does not allude to what the ministry of John the Baptist was as he baptized. But the focal point of John, the apostle points to early on in these verses. John the Baptist, as we call him, was referred to by John the apostle as a witness. That's where he landed the plane, so to speak. And so that's where we begin our study this morning. Here it is. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. I want you to notice a couple of things in that first statement there. I want you to notice the contrast between what John the Baptist is referred to here and to what is said about the God-man in verses 1 through 5. John the Baptist, as he's called, was just a man. You say, well, how big of a deal is that? I'm going to show you in just a minute. There came a man sent from God. He was a messenger from God. He was one that was prophesied in the Old Testament about. All of that mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Did you know that? 
Isaiah prophesied about the one who would come to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So did Malachi. They talked about the one who would come who would give testimony about the Christ. There came a man sent from God. He had a mission that was given to him. And we'll speak about that in just a moment. But this was a divine appointment. Notice, there came a man sent from God. Whose name was John. What do you know about John? The Baptist. Have you ever really dug into... Luke's account of John. Let's do that for just a moment. Because I think what you're going to see here is the providence of God. The providence of God. A lot of times as one refers to John the Baptist, there's focus on Mary's visit with Elizabeth. And that's okay, and that's wonderful. And I'm all about that. And you can read that this afternoon. It's later on in chapter 1. And remind yourself of the events that took place around that. But there's something prior to that that we need to understand that this divine appointment was truly a divine appointment. It's one that needs to be told, and so... I'm going to tell you about it this morning. Look in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias. Who was Zacharias? John's father. Of the division of Abijah. Now there were 24 divisions of the priesthood. In Jesus' day... Many historians have pointed to the fact that there would have been fifteen to 20,000 priests for one temple. That, that's enough, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's good. Fifteen to 20,000 priests for one temple. When you think about John the Baptist, you don't necessarily think priestly line, do you? No, you think about locusts and wild honey. This guy was out to lunch. He spent... His time in the wilderness, and he ate bugs. That's what he did. We don't often think about that he came through the priestly line, but I think as we get later in chapter 1 of John, you're going to go, wow, this is quite a response from John as he's questioned by the religious leaders. So there were 24 divisions of the priesthood. A priest would serve two times a year. In Jerusalem at the temple from Sabbath to Sabbath. Okay? That's important to know because when you come to this and you see the inner workings of the Lord, you're like, whoa. This isn't by chance what takes place. In fact, it says here that he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. 
And now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, look at this, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There were several jobs that a priest could have. And some of those were chosen by lot. And one of those chosen by lot was to burn incense just outside the Holy of Holies on the altar of incense. There were two times a day where people would come to pray at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. I would never have been to the 9 a.m. I like the 3 p.m. better. How many of you would like the 3 p.m.? That sounds a whole lot better than the 9 a.m. The Bible doesn't tell us if John was at both or just one, but he was at one. Now, I want you to think about something. A lot was cast, and it fell to John. Excuse me, Zacharias, thank you. fell to Zacharias to, to burn incense, Okay? Well, did you know that in the lifetime of a priest, once you served in the position of burning incense, you never did that again? So as I was reading all this history about this, I was like, oh, hold on a second. I mean, God's got his hand all over this, all over Zacharias all over what takes place here. So once they served in that capacity, they never did again. And some of them never served in that capacity. So think about it. He's right outside the Holy of Holies, burning incense. Can you imagine the people outside? Because, I mean, he's offering prayers, and, and they must have been because of the conversation that goes on here. Where is he? What's going on with Zacharias? Why is it taking so long? Look, the Bible says, verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. So there were a lot of people there. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Now look at this, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And Zacharias just happened to be there. Or the Lord knew that Zacharias would be there. Which one? My friends, listen. The Lord knew, 
It was no accident that Zacharias was at the temple. So when I think about there came a man sent from God whose name was John, there's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more to his life. So when you read that in John chapter 1, if you've never read the entire story of, of Zacharias and how all that came to be, you would need to go back to Luke. And aren't we glad that Dr. Luke was detailed to give us those details of what took place there at the temple? So there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came, it says, as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So what we see here is the specific of his mission. He came, look it says, verse 7, as a witness to testify, to give testimony. That is the best translation. When you try to mess with that one, it gets kind of disoriented. Just leave it alone. When it says he came as a witness to testify, it means exactly that. He came as a witness to give testimony about the light. Who was the light? The Lord Jesus was the light. In fact, in John chapter 8, what's Jesus Christ going to say? I am the light of the world. That's what he's going to say. So why did John come to testify? Well, we don't have to guess. Look what it says in verse 7. John came as a witness to testify about the light so that... Here's the purpose. This is why John came. Now I want you to notice before I read this that the focal point in this section is not on John. It's on the mission of John. What was the mission of John? To testify about the light. Why? Look, he says, so that all might believe. This is the first time that the, the word pistuo occurs in the Gospel of John, and it occurs 98 more times. Why? Because the Gospel of John is about believing. It reinforces the purpose statement that's given to us in John chapter 20 and verse 30, 31. So that all might believe through him. Who's him? John. It's John. So that all might believe through him. Now when you look at that, you have to know that John came to bear testimony about the light, about the truth, about who Jesus Christ was. And that same mission, listen to me, that same mission, while different in a sense because we're not living when John was, we have that mission. We are sent ones. We are messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so critical that we Proclaim who Christ is to others. That's what John did. Why do we proclaim Christ to others? So that they might believe. It's no different. We want all to believe, don't we? Don't you? You want all to believe. Moms and dads and brothers and sisters and children and grandchildren, aunts and uncles... Cousins, distant cousins, all those people you see at those 
the, those, what do you call, reunions, once every 15 years, those people, we want all of them to trust Christ. I have members in my family that aren't saved. Do you? I have friends that aren't saved. Do you? As you get older in the Lord and you recognize that glory is right around the corner, boy, don't it, doesn't it just stick to you, right? It just sticks to you. It's kind of like sauce to ribs, right? I mean, you just, it just sticks to you. you. You just can't help but think, when I come in contact with that person, I know where I'm going. And if they don't trust Christ, I know where they're going. So we have the same responsibility as John. John announced to the world, this is the Lamb of God. That's what his announcement was, who takes away the sins of the world. So he writes here, so that all might believe through him. Now notice this next statement. He was not the light. He was not the light. You remember when I first started out, I said, when you look at the text before, in 1 through 5, it describes the God-man. Here it just refers to John the Baptist as a man. He was not the light. You say, why in the world? Why is that warning there? Well, it's there for a reason. He was not the light. Do you know how that reads in the original language? Not was he. (laughs) Who talks like that? Not was he. He was not. In fact, that word he is an interesting word in the original. It's a demonstrative pronoun. Don't you love pronouns? Huh? Do you know pronouns? I was teaching the youth a couple weeks ago. These, y'all need to go back to school. You're in school, but you need to go back. I mean, right? My mom was an English teacher, so I had to learn, right? Subject, verb, direct object. Indirect object, prepositional phrases. I got all of it. Because she taught high school for a long time. Then she taught college. Dad, you're going to know this. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know what? I didn't know about demonstrative pronouns until I started studying the Greek. But a demonstrative pronoun is there for emphasis. And this is what John is writing. He is, absolute, he is absolutely not the light. Not he's not the light, but he's absolutely not the light. You ever as a father and mother told your child who was unmarried, she is not the one or he is not the one. Absolutely not. Right? When they want our opinion. Right? When they're dating. Which is not too much, by the way. They don't really value our opinion too much. It doesn't seem when they're dating. But you've looked at your kid and said, they are not the one. Well, that's exactly The idea here, he was not, absolutely not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Did you know there was some confusion in the church about John the Baptist, if you you read in 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 Acts 19? Did you know that there was um, a religious sect that was started as a result of John the Baptist and his ministry? It had no place, but... But they valued what John did and they made him something he was not. The Mandines. You ever heard of the Mandines? 
That sounds like a Cajun group. But the Mandines originally were started in the first century. Present day, they're over in Iraq and Iran area. And these people value and worship John the Baptist more than they would Jesus. Well, obviously, John didn't come to talk about himself. He came to talk about the Lord Jesus. And so there's a warning here that, quite honestly, I'd never really dug into before. But he was not the light. He came to give testimony about the light. All right? Now we skip down to verse 9. It says, There was the true light. All right? Who was the true light? John the Apostle said, The true light is the Lord Jesus. All right? Now, there's something there that you need to see about that. I wish I had my little clicker thingy. I could point to it, but I'll, I'll just... You see that word was up there? Where it says... There was the true light. That word points back to before. It means that Jesus Christ was always the light. He didn't just come to the world and then he became the light. He was always the light. Does that make sense? That's very important. Because a lot of people, when they talk about Jesus Christ, they want to say, well, he became this and he became... He was always the light. Always the light. So he was always the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is what that does not mean, enlightens every man. It does not mean that every person comes to Christ, as some say that it means. What does it mean that um, he came into the world and he enlightened every man. He enlightens every man. He revealed himself to man. I think there's some different things here that need to be thought of. First of all, he was always the light. And as we look back to the Old Testament, what do we find? We find in the Old Testament prophecy about who? The light who was coming. Who is? Jesus Christ. We also know this as we look at the New Testament. We know from the New Testament that in the book of Romans, that it is true that man has been enlightened. You say, Thad, how has he been enlightened? Creation, Romans chapter 1. He's been enlightened so that he is without, according to Paul, what? He's without excuse. Okay? So you have, in terms of being enlightened, you have... Reference to creation, the, the conscience of man. In Romans 1, you have reference to the gospel. As you think about the gospels, we have reference to his what? His life. So he came into the world, incarnation, and he said he was the light, and he pointed people to what? The truth. Okay? He revealed the truth to man. And then we also know that throughout the Word of God, meaning Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus Christ is pointed to as the one who is the light. In fact, that designation as the light is not going to stop. He's always been the light and he always will be the light. You say, what are you talking about, Thad? 
Well, I want to show you something. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Revelation. Okay? Revelation. I want to show you this. This is very important. Revelation. Chapter 21. In description of the New Jerusalem... John, the Apostle, chapter 21, describing the new Jerusalem. Look down in verse 21. It says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. John said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. By the way, when we think about the temple, what do we think about? This is important. We think about the presence of the Lord. We might think about the tabernacle. We might think about the temple. One day, there's going to be no need for that. We're going to be in the presence of the Lamb of God. All right? Now, notice this. I saw no temple in it for the Lord... God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of what? The sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Guys, he always was the light. He announced himself as the light. We declare he is the light. He will always be the light. What does it say in John 3? Man loves what more than the light? Darkness. Darkness. Notice... It says, verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. But it says here, the world did not know him. That word know is an interesting word. It means they did not recognize him. They did not understand him. They did, and this is the most important definition of that word, they did not recognize him as their own. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. How long did Israel wait between the Testaments as we have them? There were 400 years of silence. You say, what's the big deal? Big deal. There's 400 years of silence. Israel was looking for their Messiah. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy who's dressed in a robe, eating steak and potatoes. Nope. All of a sudden, here comes this guy. As I think about John the Baptist, I don't know why. It's probably because of my age. I think Tarzan. I know he didn't swing from tree to tree. 
and he was in the wilderness. But I think this, this guy like him. And the Bible says he didn't look like everybody else. And his diet wasn't like everybody else. And he was from a priestly line, and yet... God used that man for one mission, and that was to announce the coming of the Lamb of God. And you say, why did he pick him? Because he's God, and he can. I mean, look at all the different storylines in Scripture. Would you, would you have chosen... Those 12 disciples, they didn't have the robes and the tassels. They didn't, they smelt probably interesting. You ever thought, fishermen, if you've been fishing and you've been on a a lake and you've been fishing, if guys are real fishermen, they have a stench to them. They stink, right? It's just like an athlete. Athletes, after they play a game, they stink. Our middle son, Micah, played ice hockey when he was four, five, six, something like that. His bag, when he'd bring that bag home and you'd open it, whoo, stunk. You might have loved so much about the Lord and the grace of the Lord. He selected people to do things in Scripture that no one else would select. It was confounding to man. But what a job John had. (laughs) What a job. So he was in the world and the world did not know him. Well, what's the verdict? Because this is like a courtroom. You know, you got the words witness and testify. and So what did people do? What was their response to this? Well, I want to show you something that maybe you haven't seen before. He came to his own. Who do you think that's talking about? Careful. Came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. Oh, well, that's got to be Israel. His people. Not the first own. You see, in the Greek language, and this is just a Greek lesson, real quick. In the Greek language, there are genders. Masculine, feminine, neuter. He came to his own neuter. And those who were his own, masculine. So, is that important to point out? I think so. If the author distinguished, then we can't do anything different. He came to his own, meaning his own creation. Well, how did his own creation receive him? As the creator. Well, he walked on water. He calmed the sea. You remember the miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5? Those are his fish. That's his water. Right? Those are his trees that are blowing. 
It's his wind that stops. So creation's good. So he came to his own creation. But then he goes to people and he says, those were who, those were, who, excuse me, those who were his own masculine people did not receive him. Most theologians believe, in fact, 99% of them believe that he's talking there about Israel, his people. His own people didn't receive him. But hold on a second. I thought his own people were waiting. They were. What were they waiting for? A Messiah. One who would, in a first century mind, come and relieve them of the oppression of Rome. Come be the ruler. Take over. But that's not why he came the first time. He came the first time to be the suffering servant. The one who would live a perfect life. And the only one that could make atonement for the sins of man because he was sinless. That one. You know, if you talk to Jews today, there are many that would say he wasn't the Messiah. But isn't it refreshing when you talk to some Jews that go, yeah, he was. You ever done that? Like, I went to Israel back in 94, and, and, and I got to be around several Jewish people. And there were very, very, very few that had the mind that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. Most did not. Most do not. But he came the first time to be the suffering servant who would die for the sins of man. So he came to his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. But, circle that, but, but. Okay, in contrast to, as many as received him, to them he gave the right are the authority to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I need to tell you a few things in this section. Very important things. First of all, do you see that word receive? That word receive means this, to take into your life. That's what it means. That's the definition. He came to his own, those who were his own did not receive him. And the tone of that word that John uses absolutely did not receive him. But as many as received him or took him into their life, He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. So those who take in the Lord believe in His name. Believers are receivers. So you say, what, what, what must man do to be saved? He must believe. But what is a believer? A believer is a receiver. They take Christ into their life. When did you do that? 
Or have you done that? What would be your testimony that you've taken Jesus into your life, that you've trusted in Him and Him alone for salvation? Well, that's what John's talking about here. He says, as many as received him or took him in. Now, there's one more aspect of this that you need to know. And it's very critical because this is something that might be discussed in theological circles today. But as many as received, that word received there is in the active voice. And it points to a volitional decision, a decision of the will. In other words, on the other side, there were many who did not take him in. But John is saying, but there were some that took him in. There were some who made that decision to receive Christ, to take Christ into their life. Does that sound okay? Yeah, I think so. Because I remember the decision I made to take Christ into my life when I was seven. Do you remember the decision that you made? And upon taking Christ into my life, I believe. I trusted in him. So it's important that we understand what that means. That there's, some, uh, there's synonymous terms in a sense, but they're separate. Because you take him in and you believe. That's the idea. You do that. And that's that side of the salvation equation. When we go to witness to someone, what do we say? We say you need to believe. Right? How many times... Were you witness to when someone said you need to believe? Is that what people said to you? That's what people said to me. You know what people said to me? Thad, you're a sinner. And Christ died for your sins. And you need to believe in what he did on the cross. How about you? Is that the message you heard? Well, I hope so. Because that's the message of grace. That's the message of grace. But as many as received him, notice he says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Are you a child of God? Dr. Talley used to banter about in his classroom, and he would, when he would teach, he would walk like this all the time. It's like you wanted to reach out and hook that man, stand still. He was back and forth and back and forth. And he would always talk about being a child of God. What's being a child of God? It's being put into a family. That's what it is. It's that simple. It's being put into a family. At salvation, you're put into a family. George and I were talking about that just before the service this morning. And he was talking about his stay in the hospital. And he was talking about... Missing being with the family of God. Do you know what happens at salvation? You're placed into a family. And it's the family of God. Listen to me. And there's never going to be a time when the Father says that you're not a part of the family. You've done this now, so you're not a part of the family. That'll never happen. Once you're saved, you're always His. Once you trust Christ, God is always your Father. It's never going to change. You think about 
the number of children today that are exposed to divorce in families. And they go from one father to another father to another father. Our father's identity never changes. It's always the same. You know what a father does? A father loves his children. And a father chastens his children. You know, one of the hardest things to talk about in the Bible in relationship to being a child of God is the fact that our Father chastens us. But when we get out of line, He does that, doesn't He? You know what a good father on earth does? He chastens his children. You love your children? You'll chasten them. You say, yeah, but they're not going to like me anymore. I don't like you anyway. I mean, here's the reality of it. I did not go to my children and say, I want you to like me. If that was my goal, I probably didn't do too well. I wanted my children to know that I loved them. And my love for them was so great that I was willing to correct them, to chasten them when they needed it. You think about the chastening of the father with Israel in the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over again. That song we used to sing when I was growing up, I loved. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Are you this morning? Well, as many as received him, to them he gave the right or authority to become children of God, even to those who believe. That word there means to trust in even those who trust in his name. Now notice this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What in the world is John saying? Well, let me tell you this. To be born is equated with being spiritually alive. Okay? Well, how is one made spiritually alive? Well, it's not on his own. You don't make yourself spiritually alive. Right? You don't do that. Notice what it says. Who were born, who were made spiritually alive, not of blood. You're not born into the family of God because of your human descent or your heritage. You're not declared a child of God because you come from a pastor's family. That's just not how it happens. That's the idea there of blood. It's not of human descent, is what John says, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, the meaning here is interesting. The, the, the meaning of this term has to do with the power of of humans. It's not because of our power. We have no power to make ourselves a child of God. We can't do that. What can man do? In the text, man can believe. Man can receive and believe. But he can't make himself born again. It's not of human power. So he says it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. Now this one's interesting. It's not the will of man. You say, Thad, 
I know what that means. That means it's being born of God means that, it doesn't mean that, uh, or excuse me, it means that man can't make himself alive, mankind. But that's not what he's saying here. It's not the term anthropos. He says, you're not born as a result of blood or the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man andros. You say, Thad, why are you being so technical? You have to be. You're not born because of the will of mankind in general. He's saying here, you're not born because you're the leader of a home. That's the word andros. You're not born or made a child of God because you're a leader of a home. Well, how important was the leader of a home in Jewish culture? Really important. Okay? So when you look at this, that's exactly what John's saying. He's saying, it's not, you're not born because of blood or heritage. You're not born again because of the will of the flesh. You're not born again because of the will of man. But you're born again because of God. Because of the will of God. Because God makes you alive through His Holy Spirit. We're regenerated by who? The Spirit of God. We're made alive by the Spirit of God. Now, you know what? I'm going to tell you something, and you're just going to have to live with it. Until we die, people are going to debate what comes first. Is it regeneration or is it faith? Well, you know what I see in the text? The text tells me in the Bible that it's faith that saves. And that I can't make myself alive. But when I trust Christ, He makes me alive. Now, I'm just being honest with you. There's debate out in our culture, church culture, and people debate it. I view that as kind of a second or third tier thing. I go, well, all I know is I've been told in my Bible that in order to be saved, I must trust Christ. That's man's responsibility. God makes a person alive. And you need to go away knowing this. You can't make yourself alive. Just like you did not have a choice of your birth. You don't make, you don't, come up into a family because you want to you're born right the lord is in charge of that all right so spiritual birth is something that god gives to man i wanted to um share a story with you about a man if i can find this page i think i got it by memory there's a guy named charles finney he lived in the 19 early 1900s he was a lawyer and evangelist that's quite a combination, isn't it? A lawyer and evangelist, and he was preaching in New York City. And it was a big rally of people. And as Charles Finney is preaching to this big group of people, the chief justice of New York was there. And so he would come every night, and Finney would preach, and the more he came and the more he preached the more he became convinced that indeed Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. Every single night, Finney would have an invitation. And he was compelled one night that he should go up there, but he thought, well, as the Chief Justice, that's going to be way too much attention. I don't want that, so I'm going to have to do this a little bit different. Maybe I'll go after the service and talk to Mr. Finney 
but he just couldn't wait. So in the middle of the service one night, he walked up to the podium, and there were some stairs that were in the back, and he walked up those stairs. And as Finney was preaching, he felt this little tug on his jacket, and it was the chief justice. And he said, I can't wait any longer. I've come now. I've come to trust Christ now. And he said, and if you'll call out these folks out there, there'll be many more that come and trust Christ as a result of your commitment to preach this message. It's said over the next 12 months that 100,000 people came to trust Christ. And I just wonder, as I read that story, because they didn't tell you the rest of the story, I just wonder how many people were influenced because of the decision of that one man, the chief justice, to go up and to say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know how many people were influenced because of John the Baptist, but I know that that influence of the gospel still stands today. And there may be some of you that are sitting out there that have not really answered the question, what am I going to do with Jesus Christ? Well, we want to close this morning's service with a video. Uh, I think Chris Tomlin sings a song. It's called Jesus. Okay, so you watch as it's played.
Messiah, my Savior. There is power in your name. You're my rock, my redeemer. There is power. said amen right there's no one like Jesus Ron got that song and I liked it but I didn't realize he talked about the sea and the I was like man that fits so well Lord knows all that well this morning um I don't know how to quite describe the sad news really because Hank and Catherine Kuykendall are moving to Ohio not quite sure why someone would move to Ohio. <laughs> I think it's a job. But I'm going to have Hank and Catherine and the family come up. And I want to pray for them this morning. Um, I know some of them are staying and some of them are going. And then some of them are, who are staying are going. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a story. Um, I remember these kids when they were really small, like birth small. And um, I think one of the things is being the pastor is so wonderful is to watch people uh, develop and mature over the years. This is a very talented family. I mean, they have a lot of talent. I think one of the first times I ever saw them act in something, I was like, I mean, they were really good. I, mean, I was just awestruck because they're so talkative, right? And um, <laughs> I've grown to love this family. It's what happens, right? It fits so well with what we talked about today. I've grown to love this family, and I know you have as well. And we pray for, for Hank and for Catherine as they move to Ohio. And, and you think it snows here every once in a while? Just wait. <laughs> now, there's lots of snow up there. Hank, you need to buy you. First thing, you know what Teresa and I did the first time? We moved to New York in 91 in March. I didn't know it snowed in March up there, but it did. It snowed in April there, and it snowed in May there. The first purchase that we had were boots and a snow shovel. 
And you will use those. Unless your neighbor has a snowblower, pray they do. That's a good thing. But um, I know you are. I mean, anytime a family moves off, your, your heart's just sad. And it's taking a piece away. And so um, I want you to just, you know, if you have opportunity, I'm going to have them remain here. You come by, let them know you're praying for them, all right? Let them know that, that um, they're on your mind. And I'm going to pray and ask the Lord that he protect them and um, that... Uh, Hank would be released shortly back to Alabama. Wouldn't that be nice? So we're going to pray for that. But uh, let's stand. Let's close in prayer together. Father, I want to thank you for who you are, that we can trust you, that we can entrust you with people. I just want to thank you for the Kuykendalls. Father, I thank you for their life. I thank you for their ministry, their service of love to you. I thank you for the times that we've had with them here. We look forward to more. Uh, We're praying that, Lord, you give them safety as they go and safety as they come back. We want them back with us. But we know, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose. And there's reasons for all this. And we might know, not know all this now, but, but you'll show that to them. And you'll show it to us. I just pray they'd be guided by your steps. I pray for the, for the children, Father, just for the um, adapting to another culture. And the ones who remain, I pray for their safety. I pray we would embrace them and, and continue to love them. And we just thank you that, um, Father, those who are in Christ, uh, we're all part of the family, the family of God. And I just pray that you would um, oversee them in the steps that are to come. And we give them to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.